I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about Batman, a Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> with fans and people, people who. Hello and welcome to another Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Clock Kings Clocks and Things. The only thing we sell other than clocks are weaponized clocks. If you couldn't tell, today's episode focuses on my favorite OCD-list supervillain, the Clock King. Pretty soon you'll hear an interview with series composer Carlos Rodriguez and Batman fan and comedy writer Tim Neenan. So let's dive into... Today's episode, The Clock King. When a manically punctual man named Temple Fugit faces financial ruin because attorney Hamilton Hill suggests he relax, he transforms into the devious costumed criminal the Clock King and swears revenge on Hill, now the mayor of Gotham. It's up to Batman to save the mayor and Gotham from its untimely demise. Original air date. September 21st, 1992, written by David Wise, directed by Kevin Altieri, music by today's guest, Carlos Rodriguez, animation by Sunrise, featuring guest voices Lloyd Bachner as Mayor Hamilton Hill and Alan Rachins as the Clock King. Now, I don't know what it is about him, but I love the Clock King. He's just the right amount of corny and deadly whoa, and- Whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. Stop the podcast. I'm stopping the podcast here. Is that who I think it is? Oh, hey there, little boy pretending to be a grown-up. Nice to meet you. Moody Guliani, mayor of podcast. I'm talking here. <sighs> Mr. Mayor, we have met so many times. Remember the PodQuest cast? Pride Squish Trap? Pridcast Trash? I don't know what you're talking about. I ain't never heard of no prod quiz trash. I can't believe you don't remember this. Well, I can't believe that bees become ghost bees after they die, but they do, and they haunt me all the time. I think I'm getting stung, but they just go right through me. We'll call it even. I'm calling it even here. Huh? Exactly. Good. I'm glad we're on the same page, all right? We cannot air this episode, all right? I'm putting my foot down here. What? Why? Why? Because this is a very anti-mayor episode. What? Chicken butt. Ha <laughs> I'm joking here, but violence towards mayors is no joke. I'm serious again here. Okay, with all due respect, Mr. Mayor of Podcasts. Please, call me Moody. Okay, with all due respect, Moody. Please, call me Moo. Short for Moody. With all due respect, Moo. Please, my friends call me Mmm. Short for Moo. Really? <sighs> with all due respect, Mmm. Yes? You call for Mmm? This is a cartoon from the 1990s. Exactly! A cartoon where people are trying to kidnap mayors, kill mayors, 
be mean to mayors? If people know that they can do this to mayors, they're going to keep doing it, all right? And the cycle is going to continue from generation to generation to generation of mayor. So that is why I got ahead in front of it, and I created hashtag Mayor Lives Matter. I'm hashtagging here. Okay, no. I am not going to let you undermine the Black Lives Matter movement on my podcast. Okay, that's fine. But what about hashtag yes, all mayors? No, I think that hashtag definitely trivializes another important issue. Well... You leave me no choice. I will have to just use hashtag just say no to cartoons about mayors who are all kidnapped by clock-themed villains. I'm talking here dot com dot com dot Twitter. Okay, great. Yeah, use that one. I will. And another thing. Will people stop throwing pennies into the fountain in the middle of town? What's that? A trap door just opened up under my feet and now I'm hovering above it midair like Wiley Coyote. Uh-oh. Oh! I'm falling in. You know, I almost talked myself out of getting it, but I knew that trapdoor would come in handy. All right, on to the interview. Today's fan. Tim is a UCB buddy of mine, as well as a comedy writer for the upcoming full-screen show Filthy Preppy Teens, Adult Swim's newsreaders, and the sketch group New Money. Joining Tim and I is... Today's guest... Carlos Rodriguez. Carlos composed the music for The Clock King, as well as many other Batman the Animated Series episodes, including the first Riddler episode and other favorites like Robin's Reckoning Part 1 and Day of the Samurai. He also orchestrated films like Hellboy and the Royal Tenenbaums, so how's that for movie chops? He was great to meet and had lots to share about music on the series and other behind-the-scenes in general. So, let's get to that interview. I'm sitting down with Carlos Rodriguez, who is a composer for Batman the Animated Series. Uh, his first episode, full episode, was The Clock King. Right. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming over. I'm also sitting with Tim Neenan, who is a big old fan of Batman the Animated Series, as well as a writer, director, comedy human. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Comedy that's it. human. Yeah, that's a, a normal description. Mm-hmm. A comedy human. Yeah. Or a... Uh, a humane comedian. Yes. No, I think Tim pretty much tortures a, animals on stage, okay. so I don't know if he's a humane comedian. Right. Um, but just animals. Like, I'm humane towards people. Oh, you're right. You're right. Let's talk clock. <laughs> All right. Carlos, let's start with you. This was your first full episode. How did you get involved with the series? Well, let's see. Somebody sent Shirley Walker a tape of mine that they actually couldn't make heads or tails of. But, and Shirley's uh, the supervising she's composer. A super, yeah, Shirley Walker was, was our beloved mentor on the, on the series, and she was a supervising composer, and, and she was putting together, uh, literally putting together like a stable of, of people to work with her, and hopefully, you know, if if you know if you she'd start you on start you off by orchestrating cues for her on, on particular shows, and then if you got past that, then eventually she'd give you uh, your own show. And my first, that was my first show was the Clock King. Do you remember what were your first cues that you helped out with? I I orchestrated some cues for I think I don't know if it was Christmas with the Joker it was the. It was um, 
there was a train involved. In, yeah, in the Christmas mountains. with the Joker. Yeah, so I, I that's did, an early one. I think it's yeah. like the second episode. Yeah, it was. Uh, this I started in you know pretty soon at, when this thing started rolling. I was uh, attending the re, the uh, recording sessions, and um, the I, I, I remember writing some cues. I mean, orchestrating first. And then, uh, and then she assigned some cues, which was for uh, a show called Fear of Victory. Mm-hmm. I wrote uh, like a few you know, small cues in that, including the Gotham U fight song. Yeah, it's a Scarecrow football episode. Yeah, the, the, yeah for those two fans of both of those worlds merging. <laughs> right, he's 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 taking he's placing bets on uh, athletic events and uh, and cashing out because he's using his fear. Uh, Serum to uh, to change the outcome of those uh, events. Feels beneath the scarecrow. Yeah, to do he's definitely like done that. cooler stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was like it was, you realize. Well, you know, times get tough, and 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 even and villains have to you know they got to make, make money. much money. Yeah, it's, toxins it's, cost money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, you know, it's like, it doesn't you know pay for itself unless you actually put it into effect. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I worked on on that, uh, and, and I did a, a cue which turned out uh, very well for a bat. I've got Batman in my basement, which is a, the Batmobile chase, and uh, and I learned that uh, that my my big hits were were in, were in the music were actually um, competing with the big sound effects. And, and surely as she guided us in our, in our you know, experiences with her, she was very adamant about uh, that music and sound effects should, should work with each other and, and, and in doing so stay out of each other's way. And so, uh, so I got a little, you know, a, a bit of a lesson on that. But it wasn't too bad. Um, because uh, there was, you know, there there's usually, there were usually more sound effects than they needed. You know, Russell Brower did the sound effects on the show, and he was a sound guy, and he he, he had some really fun, um, you know, just real comprehensive list of uh, of, of things that he would uh, apply to the show. Um, and so, anyway, uh, that was I think those are the the first. The first that's the first batch of cues that I wrote for the show, and then soon thereafter, I was assigned to the Clock King. Oh, cool, Tim. Yeah. What is your background with Batman the Animated Series? What music did you compose for the show? Uh, uh, never, none, none for the show, but uh, <laughs> I definitely had a, a big swath of Batman Animated Series action figures, and we used the underside of our piano for a bat cave. Did and, you really? Yeah. So me and my brother would play the show, and we definitely like would do music if uh, <laughs> he would like climb into the Batmobile like we would hum the theme and stuff yeah like, I did that a, too yeah um, the piano was great my dad like bought a, a grand piano that I'm sure he still regrets because we each did about three or four years of piano lessons but used the piano like to great effect for Batman and Jurassic Park like action figure play <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like it's this huge enormous like bat cave for Batman in it um yeah, I remember seeing, I mean, I must have seen the first episode, like, when it premiered. Like, I remember it being advertised, uh, and it came out, like, 
the within months of us moving back to the states after being overseas for a while because my dad was in the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where were you overseas? Uh, Panama and then, or no, sorry, Korea and then Panama. Oh man! Uh, over the course of like six years, I think seven years uh, as a real little kid. Um, and yeah, I remember Batman being like appointment viewing that and Power Rangers uh, <laughs> and this latter I haven't revisited. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, uh, we loved it. Yeah, that was like what my brother and I like. Uh, like that was the only show I think like we had to see every episode of. Yeah, I feel like the music really was something that stuck out to me as a kid too. Like I would hum really bad versions of the theme songs or, uh, you know, just any villain cues or, or whatever uh, wh- while I was playing with figures and simultaneously try to do impressions of the characters. Uh, but it really like to this day, I like to listen to the soundtrack, which they've finally started to release periodically. Uh, Big shout out to La La Land Records for uh, doing, you know, putting this stuff onto uh, onto see, making it available to, for uh, you know the fans. Um, there was I, I sent out my own I, I made my own little promo CD of uh, you know very you know selections from from the episodes that I did, and it turns out that it was. It was uh, it was bootlegged, and and it's you can even find it on Amazon of all things. Really, a bootleg version that it contains my day of the ep- uh, day of the samurai episode, and uh, and this was like taken from you know it was like a of course digital copying is is quite easy when when you when you're sending out CDs and anyone gets a hold of it and they can uh, you know but I was really uh, aghast at the uh, at the fact that somebody was act- and they were selling it for like two hundred bucks you know it's well because like- it was a rare thing at the time I remember wanting that kind of merchandise when I was younger and I was like they it just wasn't. I feel like the fan demand for that kind of stuff has like grown into its own industry now, yeah, uh, and it's like catching up. But before it was like maybe like you got a Mask of the Phantasm CD release, and it didn't even have all the tracks from the film. But beyond that, there wasn't anything from the the cartoon itself, and the music is so beautiful. I love that you've got like some Beach Boys, Beatles, like basement tapes floating around out there, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like. Uh... Well, you know my my. Technically speaking, my demo would have been a, a bootleg as well. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've a lot of the stuff that I have, I've, I've, I've had commissions from the Philharmonic, and, and somehow some of those performances found their way onto a CD. I don't know how that happened, but uh, uh, you know, so it's uh, I got busted by the Philharmonic for that. Uh, you got busted by the Philharmonic. Yeah, Not many for, people can say they got busted yeah, by the Philharmonic. Um, well, it's interesting, yeah. It's uh, but I, let's not go into that. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, it, but it's 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 uh, you know, as a as a composer, you you need to have you know your uh, some kind of archive of your stuff sure and uh and so it's nice that la la land you know put it out not just you know here's a here's a disc with with the with the names of the tracks printed on it but here's a a comprehensive you know scholarly uh compendium of all the uh, the music and 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 john takis's greatest uh uh, great liner notes is and John Tegas is the the fellow who works at La La Land who he's uh, he was he produced volumes two and three 
and um, and he writes all you know he interviews all the composers and writes all the the basically program notes the liner notes for the for the booklet and it's he the amazing you know job really in depth and and you know he's it's, he's a and and then he describes his background with the show, and he was like a, a, a fanboy as well. I mean, a, a, literally a kid when when it was uh, when it was uh, playing. So so it's a, it's really it's 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 really gratifying that so many um, you know abject drooling fans of the show are now you know in positions where they can you know, actually contribute to the pres preservation of, of the show or, you know, aspects of the, of the uh, creative end of things, like the, like the music. Well, why don't we dive into the Clock King itself, uh, talk about this villain. Uh, I want to talk about the story a little bit first, like kind of set the scene, talk about what you like about the Clock King, and then kind of get that behind-the-scenes look at it. Um, Tim, what are your memories of this episode? <laughs> I had none, really. I didn't remember this episode when I bought the DVDs, and I don't remember when they came out, college or, or high school or college, maybe even earlier than that. But, yeah, this was one, like, I definitely revisited on DVD, and uh, I kind of love it. Like, it's a little minor episode that I've revisited more than others, because uh, the Clock King, like, is really, really funny to me. <laughs> well, it's He's... a very goofy, Adam Westy kind of villain that they... They updated. I feel like at the time it was like a little bit more grounded. It's still silly, but uh, compared to what it could have been, yeah. I've watched like the original '60s show episode of The Clock King, and like both versions are just delivering clock puns the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I love that his origin, like, there's no. He's definitely not uh, Mister Freeze. Like this dude was an asshole, <laughs> and then like he became. Uh, a more obsessive asshole like with an agenda right the moment somebody <laughs> tried to help him he yeah. turned it around on them but it, yeah this is not like when you open on him like being a jerk to his secretary and like timing when he brushes his teeth and he gets mad at uh soon to be mayor uh hill hamilton hill hamilton. uh he's like mad at him on the train for not recognizing him even though they've been riding the train together for a year and i don't I would not know the people I ride on the train with every year. It's, uh, yeah, he's just, like, a huge asshole, and I, I love that about him. Like, there's not a ton of villains that, like, are villains because they're bad dudes. Yeah, well, he's, like, a bad dude, but he's not, I feel like he's, like, a small dude. Like, he's, like, he's like a small guy who, like, thinks everybody around him knows everything as much as him about what he knows, but then, like, when it comes gets down to it, uh, they're like, no, of course I'm not paying attention to the stranger who's on the train with me that right. much. Uh, it's almost like, I also liked that it was like driven by kind of like OCD tendencies. There yeah. was like, it was a, also like one bad day. It's a very jokery sort of, uh, comic book jokery origin kind of like, what is it? Alan Moore. Right. Uh, transposed onto like a more C-list villain. Like, he has the most, the worst day imaginable, like, very, like, expressionistic, kind of, like, you know, that courtroom stuff yeah. is really, like, stretched and skewed, and, like, he's tearing his hair out, and his eyes are bulging in a more cartoony sort of way. Yeah. 
I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting episode to me because I, I react to him like in such a, like he's just exactly the kind of person I don't want to talk to in oh, real life. Oh, for sure. Like <laughs> yeah. the dude who's like over your shoulder saying like, you know, your icons on your desktop, they could be so much more efficiently organized. And I'm like, hey, you all right, did. Temple, get out of you here. Gotta, you got to <laughs> go away, Temple. I don't want to talk to you. Uh, yeah. Um, but yes, he's also like delivering uh, clock puns the entire time, which, which... Uh, is great. <laughs> Yeah, I don't recall that many um, clock puns, but 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 OCD type clock activities were really were really his forte. I mean, you, you have to hand it to him; he's got some kind of gift, uh, the, the the gift of being always on time, I suppose. Yeah, he's um, got well, he's got a like photographic memory almost, or at least like of schedules. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's he's, got, uh, he's like Will Ferrell in Stranger Than Fiction, but mean. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the concerns. Uh, I remember Bruce Tim at the we were at the spotting session with jo- uh, with um, uh, Shirley Walker and myself, and and Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski were were like going over spotting the the, the the episode to see where the music would start and stop. And also the uh, sound man, Russ Brower, was was also in attendance to those because it was, again, we had to coordinate with what what sound effects were happening where and so the music could either, you know, get into it or stay out of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember Bruce Timm specifying um, that... uh, the, the the issue with uh, with with the clocking is that he's the, the world's most anal retentive villain, and uh, and I remember also surely in, in in order to emphasize the producer's concerns that he wasn't you know he wasn't um, uh, that he didn't seem like so much of a threat because he was this anal retentive guy. She specifically told me. He's a real motherfucker, and so and so you know you, you, you the music has to reflect that you know th- that that he's uh, he's actually dangerous as opposed to just being silly. And of course, I couldn't help but you know play some of the comedy, some of the humor in it, but because he is you know he is exceedingly anal retentive. But uh, but I, I I took that as a as a as a call to to try to make him as as terrifying as possible yeah let's talk about the music i mean i i really love i love the score to this one i i read in the liner notes that like shirley kind of came up with the general theme for the clock king and then you kind of took it from there she came up with the motif of the clock king the which is uh which is i mean that's basically a theme but it's 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 of such uh it, it's of such limited duration that that i like to think of them as motifs which are just sort of fragments of melodies and in her case she 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 used a cuckoo clock uh, motif, which was that was basically the entire theme, and uh, which is percussive and regimented, but also kind of deranged. Yeah, I made it uh, in the main title. I made it a little bit. Um, I, I basically uh, conducting as as uh, if you conduct it, it's in, it's in triplets. Dun 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 dun. Uh, and so it's, uh, but then I added, uh, I added percussion that was, uh, you know, in against that would, f- 
work against the, uh, the, the, the triplets. And so it'd be running 16th notes and, uh, dee -dee 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 -dee. and it, uh, it, it sort of created this sort of, uh, you know, kind of conflicting, you know, kind of demented qualities to a certain extent. Yeah. It feels like, I don't know. It supports the idea of this guy who is on his own, He's like he thinks everybody should be on the same page as him, but he's kind of operating on a different speed than everybody else. Like even the rest of the music from the series, like Batman, feels very. You're gonna have to forgive me. I have very little musical knowledge, uh, but like feels like very like legato-y sort of like uh, like I don't know sweeping sounds, and the yeah. Clock King is so like interruptive. <laughs> yeah, there's well, that's it, and I I emphasize that sort of uh, that sort of compartmentalization of his theme. Uh, in, in, in uh, likening it to sort of mechanical, uh, uh, the, the mechanics of, a, of a, an actual ticking clock. And so there's, there's places where you'll see, uh, uh, you know, it's what's, what's occurring and, and, and they, they show as a, as a subtitle the exact hour and minute of, of something. Right. And so I would, I would play that by going, by having like, you know, some wood blocks going tick, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and trying to, uh, to basically just emphasize the sort of mechanical uh, clock uh, in, in part of the theme and, uh, and then orchestrating it in various ways to make it um, definitely more, more demented or more, uh, you know, terrifying depending on what the action was at, at the given time but uh he, he was he was a it was a signature for for the for the villain uh, and and there's only one spot in the entire show which is right at the very end that i, I quote batman's theme shirley's black back batman theme because it's uh, he's he finally saves uh hamilton hill mayor hamilton hill on the on the at the very last moment and grabs him from plunging to certain death and uh he uh and so at that point i i i, I quote the batman theme but that was that's the only place every everywhere else it's it's uh, variations and uh, additions to the the uh the clock king motif yeah it's so much more about the clock king than batman in this episode. I mean, Batman's outside in the daytime for most of the episode. <laughs> That's not the way he likes to play. True. <laughs> um, yeah, like, his plan in this episode makes me laugh so hard. Because, like, it, uh, it's very, like, to me, like, 60s, like, Jack Kirby's, like, interpretation of, like, the Yancey Street gang. And, like, whenever they would mess with the thing... Like, if they wanted to get at the thing, they would just, like, hang up a poster of him in a dress or something with, like, the thing as a sissy. Right, the it. devil kind of horns yeah, drawn like, on the picture of like Hill. The way he's get back, he's going to get back at the mayor is, like, to cause a minor traffic accident and then hang a big poster of him with his tongue out. Ruin his campaign, horns. though. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I it, it makes me laugh to, like, just think about how Gotham must work because if everybody's, like, mad in that moment, that the mayor's like traffic system doesn't work. And then an enormous banner unfurls where he has devil horns and a tongue. Like 
The answer is, oh, it wasn't the mayor's fault. It's whoever's on top of it. It was one building. of the many criminals that's in this city for sure. <laughs> yeah, like the uh, I love this like city where if you roll out a, a banner of the mayor with devil horns, like everyone laughs hysterically at it, and you've <laughs> successfully humiliated the mayor. I mean, Gotham needs to laugh. Let's be honest; they yeah. are they're drenched in darkness they, the entire time. Yeah, all of these ways to like make the mayor look bad involve the Clock King coming over an intercom and saying. See, the mayor has wrecked these two trains. It's not me, this disembodied voice talking to you, pointing it out. Uh, at no point in this episode does it look like the mayor has done anything wrong, but it works. Oh, what Gotham. I think is interesting is like, also the Clock King is, you know, this anal retentive kind of wienery guy. And so is the mayor. Like the mayor is never that likable. Uh, exactly. So you're kind of, you know, like he's always kind of a smarmy, you know, glad handy sort of dude so the fact that like it's batman saving a wiener from a wiener is like <laughs> very like a very fun like different departure <laughs> like then you know like somebody you care about yeah. you're invested because he is the mayor but not because you like the guy that much right we've yeah. been told it's the mayor and so right. and i guess <laughs> he does go out of his way to be like you know I'll, I'll relax a little bit temple like you know uh, <laughs> take, take a stroll around the park <laughs> yeah yeah, there is, um, of course, any any indications of uh, I, I I left upon any uh, opportunity to, to introduce some mu- humor musically when the um, the banner unfurls that you mentioned. I had, uh, of course, I couldn't help but have the, the three trombones, you know, <laughs> doing, <laughs> doing a, which uh, of course you know I just I just I wrote out the, the notes and and was put comically above it and the as a performance direction and the great in, in, you know we have like the greatest musicians in town playing on these sessions so um, they would just uh, they would just take it and run with it and, and and the first take was just you know that that's it it was it was it was just full of of wacky, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it was, it was, it was a, it was one of the great, you know, things about working with a, in a professional situation with, you have, you have like the best, literally we had some of the best players and then we have, you know, first chair people from the, um, L, the Los Angeles chamber orchestra. That's nuts. I mean, we talked about it a little bit before on, on some of the other episodes, but it's, Insane. The budget that was, you know, that was put into making this show as good as it was in every department. Like the fact that you had a full orchestra uh, (laughs) for every episode and and a place to record. What was it at Paramount? It was uh, it was at Warner's. Oh, it was at Warner's. Yeah, we 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 used we recorded a lot in 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 this what was then called Studio B as opposed to like the big room which is now the Eastwood stage and um it was it was very of course most of the most of the episodes um especially all my, all my all my episodes that had my favorite sound to it was recorded by the great Bobby Fernandez who is uh he, he, again he just know he he reads your mind and knows exactly what it's supposed to sound like and so and implements it really uh, like nobody's business it, it was really a, a pleasure working with uh, with Bobby on these things. Well, what were some of your influences on this? I, I read a little bit in the liner notes for the CD that you kind of were 
influenced by like Torn Curtain, uh, you know, like Hitchcock's film, like a little Bernard Herrmann. Well, there's a, there's a, there's this one cue in Torn Curtain, which wasn't, of course, the, the score wasn't used in the movie, but uh, Elmer Bernstein recorded an album of, of all the music that uh, Herman wrote for for Torn Curtain, and it included this one cue, which I remember he, he is a massive work, is strangely massive orchestra. It was sixteen horns, uh, twelve flutes or 12 flutes I believe and uh, nine trombones and uh, you know basses and and, and uh, cellos and basses no like upper strings it's nine trombones an insane amount of trombones or that's does that a just sound of, like an insane that's amount a of lot trombones? of trombones it's uh, it's it's not it's not a lot of trombones if you're talking a marching band but right uh, but and and 16 horns even for a marching band that would be uh, a massive amount uh, which is basically taking like the the biggest, the, you know, in a Mahler symphony, if you have uh, eight horns, you know, on those occasions that you have eight horns, oh, let's just have, let's just double it and have, you know, 16 horns, which, um, you know, creates this just sort of thunderous quality to it. But uh, there was this one cue, I forget where it happens in, in the movie, since it was never used in the movie, but it, uh, he, tr- he div- the, the theme of Torn Curtis, and I was like, uh, that's a sort of accompanying figure to da-da-da-da-dee-da. And uh, the, he, he divides up the three trombones I mean, the nine trombones is the three groups of three, and has one one set one trio open, another trio with uh, like a straight mute, and another uh, trio with like uh, cut mutes, and he has and he divides that figure up into each group, each trio. So you got you know this really bizarre sounding effect, uh, and uh, so I. I in I think John Takis in his notes was referring to the um, the some of I I, I I tended to go for a lot of color in, in the uh, in the writings, particularly the depiction of, of, of uh, Temple Fugit, the Clock King's motif, and so I I ended up using quite a few mutes, and uh, there was a there was a places where. You know, you'd hear that kind of that kind of effect with uh, with was achieved by by you know switching, you know, the say having the same instrument with type of instrument with different mutes and that kind of thing, and uh, it was it just added I think it added to the it added a creep factor to <laughs> to uh to the clock king because he's for sure a creep he's a creep and <laughs> and so and so some of these things i think uh contributed to a, a sort of um you know he's a creep but he's he's also psychologically there's something really wrong with him psychologically and so so it's it, it was my job as, you know, as the composer to to just Keep uh, painting this guy in the most uh, the, mo- the creepiest possible <laughs> way, and so uh, and so, it, it, which was a lot of fun. It was just great fun to to hear it all come together on the recording session. Yeah, I mean, you even saying Temple Fugit. Uh, I don't know. We haven't mentioned it yet, but that is basically one of the 
punnier Batman names. Yeah, like for sure. Tempest Fugit, or is it Fugit? <laughs> yeah, Tempest, Tempest Fugit. Yeah, Fugit. Latin for time flies. Mm-hmm. Uh, very like Enigma, They're Edward Enigma in sort the of thing. Enigma world of. <laughs> uh, they could get away with some of the sillier stuff in the show. That's kind of what I love about the series is that it's like emblematic of every iteration of Batman that I love, kind of put together. So it's like not taking itself so seriously. It's not so dour, but it's still more dark and grounded than I'd say a lot. Of, you know, like Batman the Brave and the Bold, or like. Like, you know, yeah, maybe like in comparison to that, I guess just as far as the color palette, but a thing like I find anytime I revisit it now, and I've even like heard people on the podcast, like sort of like reckon with this, uh-huh. like clearly revisiting the episode before the podcast or something is that it's so much sillier and like for kids than I think like it was to a nine year old. Sure. Uh, like most of the episodes to me now read is like, just like painted darker than some of the 60s episodes especially like as it got on later like uh i think like i don't know like you uh the 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 fan community of this show wants it to be darker than maybe it was and now even sometimes i'll see like interviews with uh tim and deanie and like even they like have a very sort of light-hearted like uh take on the show and and don't it seems like even they didn't mean for it to be like taken as seriously and dark as it as i think the fans did uh but i love that about it yeah well uh, I, I love that it's everything you know like everything yeah. I mean, it's like it is the palette is dark but like there's just i mean the joker is wonderful because he's so silly and mm-hmm. funny but also like you know those moments it's a lot of it i feel like is like nuanced for kids uh yeah for kids for, uh, compared to other children's television it is stuff you just don't get away with now yeah like the guns and the violence and sometimes people smoking yeah like, you know like the whatever the guy with emphysema and mask of the phantasm yeah the catch-all like aspect of it is cool like they got to just sort of play with any batman tone they wanted to so they can do uh-huh. something like mr freeze uh or heart of ice uh, which is like a fairly serious episode, and then in the same series, there's Critters or sure. the Clock King, or <laughs> uh, uh, I love that about it. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that they they kind of abandoned the Clock King's you know regimented timely schedule. Uh, the second episode is more of like a sci-fi yeah. kind of like time travel or freezing. I love time. that episode. Like, yeah, it's like yeah. The first one is he's yeah, a regimented like anal retentive weirdo, and then in the second one, like they're quoting the theory of relativity because he's frozen <laughs> them in time bubbles, which like, is great. They're like, what awesome. a perfect heightening. Okay, we've set up the groundwork for yep. why this guy does what he does. Let's give him the tools. Yeah, <laughs> he gets to play both versions of a time gimmick villain. Yeah. And then he shows up again in the Justice League show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably way more grounded than the other two. He's more of just like the brains behind Task Force X. Yeah, he gets to... God, what a... Like... What a dream, like, alternate version of the Suicide Squad movie where it features the Clock King and villains like that. Yes. Because that's what, I, I I don't even know if I've seen that episode, but, like, that is, like, this a Suicide Squad yes. episode, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, that would be awesome. I want the movie. I don't care, really, about the movie that's coming out, and I really want one featuring the Clock King and, like, yeah. Etrigan. And <laughs> God, I'd love yeah. to see Etrigan and the Clock King. Give me those two guys. Yeah. Great. In one movie. <laughs> yeah. One guy talking in rhyming couplets and the other who's anal retentive about time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, there was, it's, 
I was thinking, you know, you were mentioning some of the, the sort of lighthearted, um, especially when Bruce and Bruce and Bruce Tim, if you hear the commentaries on some of the, the DVD uh, releases they're they they're they're having a lot of fun with it because now they can sit back and, and just say, oh, this was this was funny because this this happened here. And, and basically they're they're laughing about all the difficulties that they had making <laughs> it. And um, and so it's it's one of those things where you you're I think they come it comes off as being a little bit more um lighthearted on because uh, uh, they're they're at this point they're having fun with it but i'm sure when they were actually trying to get this stuff done it was you know it, it was a serious very serious matter and, it was such a specific show there was like so much attention to detail yeah and that's one of the great things about about the show when i first went to my first recording session um uh, with that shirley was doing it was an episode she scored a pov and I was astonished by the animation because I was a familiar. I'm familiar with the. Uh, at the time, I was very familiar with the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons, mm-hmm. and this sort of uh, there, this sort of Art Deco component to the visuals of Batman had me had you know my had me floored, frankly, and the fact that they were putting in references like there's a. Uh, there's a character with acromegaly, you know, the, the based on Rondo Hatton, the uh, the old the villain, you know, Swedish actor who who ha- who suffered from you know sort of uh, uncontrolled growth, <laughs> and so he had a distorted face, and he, that made it for a, a film career of playing heavies. And and in POV, they have of uh, uh, one of the henchmen or bad guys is uh, a total Rondo Hatton tribute and reference. And I, and I was getting all this stuff and going, this is amazing. Uh, this is so comprehensive uh, that I, you know, this is really going to be amazing. I, I was, this was my first impressions and listening to Shirley's score to that was, uh, was it was very, very revealing. I, I thought it was the, that the, the sum was definitely going to be greater than its parts because because uh, of the parts were so amazing and so so i'm not surprised you know in, in retrospect that it's it's gotten as as popular and and it sort of develops a sort of life beyond the the broadcasts uh for so many people because it was just really just very consciously trying to do uh, the best possible job with in a in a style that it innovated. It, it kind of developed a style. The show had had um, just a, a look, the dark deco look that Eric Radomski came up with for the backgrounds was um, was another. You know these 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 very dramatic um, sorts of thing, and it, it paid it. it 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 was a nod as well to the, the Tim Burton, uh, the sort of gothic quality of the Tim Burton movie mm-hmm. movies, and uh, and so they were kind of you know they had to sort of incorporate all these components, that, but they did so really really wonderfully. And the music was always life or death. You know, it was it was, it was even even when there's funny parts, 
Uh, it was all in the context of, uh, I remember Shirley Walker telling us uh, the bat composers were having a potluck dinner or something, and she, t- she told, she was, you know, explaining a, f- a few, you know, basic tips for the show, and she says, it's never a good day in Gotham City. <laughs> it's always, you know, it's always, so, so whatever you start, you don't start on a major chord usually, you start on a, something, something darker, some kind of minor uh, c- component, uh, you know, in the in the harmonies, and uh, and so that was something that we all took to heart, you know, and and really tried to. I mean, in fact, she she took she after the first recording, after the the recording session for the clock came, she took me out to dinner, and we and I it was really I was thrilled, you know, I, I was very happy how how it turned out, and she was she told me at dinner that she was really happy with the kind of she said the kind of music that you wrote for this show indicating i i suppose that that it was kind of innovative on on some level and uh and i i had to tell her it was just trying to sound like you (laughs) so uh, um and you know that was a lot to there was a lot to there was a lot of uh variations and 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 departures that one could take from from the the themes that she would she would write but that was a, a great unification of the of of what you could do stylistically on the show you could uh, you could you can there's so many uh, if someone I always wanted to make a, a like a a sort of a compilation of everyone's tr- different differing treatments of just Shirley Walker's Batman theme and and just like play them like one after the other, right? all the different composers. Somebody would have to, you know, obviously spend a, uh, a few days, you know, editing something like that, or maybe a, a couple months. But uh, but it would be just it was it would be really uh, a, a, like a roller coaster ride. I think of, of listening to how many how many of the uh, the, the differing viewpoints. Uh, of course, they were all subservient to what was happening on the screen at the time. That was the, the main the main job. It's it the main job of a composer for film or, or television. But uh, it was it was it would be. Uh, I was fascinated by by doing that. I almost did. I I've, I have yet to do that to my own iterations of the Batman theme. But uh, it would be kind of fun just to hear it going. You know, we have different we, flavors of the same thing. I love hearing different people's take on something that's like. I don't know. I feel like any in any sort of art, like when you have kind of, you're given a filter to kind of work through, but then everybody gets to play kind of beyond that. It's it's nice to I don't know see where everybody takes it because that's where your voice shines. Um, it feels like everybody works really hard. I mean, like regardless of how I guess it reminds me of like like when we do comedy stuff. It's like you work so hard to like whatever make fart robot (laughs) like really good but you still i mean that's like the worst example but it's still like i mean you've done eight performances of sketch it never gets anything i don't know why you keep trying to make fart robot come on guys i figure if i talk about fart robot on the podcast maybe people will like it a little bit more well Uh, it's got potential yeah i know i mean i got a screenplay i would argue that it doesn't have potential justin it's not a good sketch this is why i wanted to confront you about this publicly uh with somebody who supports fart robot 
Well, I, I, I've, my, my experiences have been quite limited with, uh, with Farroba, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm rooting for you all the way. Thank you, and I'm tooting for Fart Robot all the. It's a robot that makes farts. It doesn't even. I don't even understand the premise. Like, okay, why the would, premise it would have been is... a lot funnier if it was a robot who farted. No, no, he no. just makes farts. Yeah, he like works in a manufacturing plant. Yeah, he works in a pencil factory, but he fart. creates farts. Ugh. I don't see so, what the problem no, is. It's complicated. <laughs> Uh, well, there's a whole backstory to, you know, to that's to. yeah, which is like a thing you don't do in sketch comedy, and he keeps insisting on like spending four pages on his backstory. I think you need the backstory. I yeah. think sketches should be a hundred pages long only. That's one of the nice things about about the Batman animated series was the these, that was a good reroute. <laughs> these origin stories were, were like you know you really in the case of the clocking you really got to see. Why you know what his motivation was? Yeah, he was an asshole, and <laughs> and and but you you at least got to you you got to experience the narrative yeah. of his of you know him getting worse you know and becoming this sort of obsessed you know clock freak and um, and and but the origin stories of the of all they they hit it out of the park so many times with uh, with Two Face. Um, it's definitely efficient. He has a very efficiently uh, scripted origin story that has to be like I don't know four or five pages or something. Yeah, absolutely. It's, like, it's a guy. He likes to be on time. Someone tells him to take a day off. He does. Well, you get through not so even a day. much more. He, yeah, he takes like ten minutes off. He takes an extra ten minutes on his break, and everything goes wrong. Yeah, uh, and I don't know. Yeah, anyone else would say like. Hmm. This is confirmation. I need to stick to my schedule. But no, he says it's all that guy's you fault. He loses it. Well, that's what makes him a villain. A <laughs> uh, I'm going to I'm gonna uh, put up giant banners with uh, him with his tongue out and devil horns seven years from now. <laughs> yeah, apparently his company was ruined because of because yeah. he lost his Right, it was a legal battle. But also, still, like, Hill was, like, somehow involved with the worked, plaintiff. Yeah, so, were, the Hill worked for... The 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 counts. He was working for the the legal firm that was uh, in 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 con- in conflict with uh, his uh, his case. Right. He has enough of like an internal craziness that he can at least point to that and be like, "No, of course it was on purpose. <laughs> uh, it's time you die." But I'd love like a reveal like post credits that the mayor like did do that on purpose so we could sink <laughs> this guy's company. I feel right. like yeah. uh, I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, look, he he's is the plaintiff. We've never seen way. his wife too. Uh, <laughs> there is a very uh, you, like talking about like the Fleischer. There's such like a, a Fleischer beat in this episode uh, that I feel like is in every one of those Superman cartoons where he stands up and he goes. Put that uh, that coffee in a thermos for me. I'm taking a longer break, and you get the silent reaction shot of his secretary's like <laughs> mouth dropping open, which is like how every scene with Lois Lane would end. Like they're yes. going like a mad scientist, <gasps> black like fade to black. <laughs> I yeah, I, I feel like we got so much. They just took more time, I guess, in in the earlier episodes of Batman. To, like, you wouldn't even have that moment in a later episode. Right. It was like more action than mm-hmm. not. Uh, I love the set pieces in this. I love Batman getting trapped in the the vault using like a cassette tape. Yeah, uh, that was great. Oh, right, I forgot about that. He actually does some kind of. I mean, it's you know like stretchy, but like uh, <laughs> or stretched kind of logic, but like to kind of escape, he's using his 
Batman-y skills versus just kind of like disappearing off screen and suddenly he's done something. Yeah, sure. in the, in a MacGyverish kind yeah, of Yeah, very MacGyverish approach. But it's a good thing that the, the clocking used extremely, you know, tough uh, cassette <laughs> tape. Very durable. Yeah, very durable. Yeah, I feel like you're supposed to have a lot of attention drawn toward like Batman MacGyvering that tape so he can like trigger that explosion. And I feel like a lot of people overlook the fact that also, while he was rigging that tape, he also seemed to have found a ton of sandbags and put them up in this vault and hid behind them. Like he had to make that happen too. Yeah, he's he, you know he always carries sandbags inside of his pants. It's, it weighs him down, but it also makes his muscles strong. Yeah, it's true. That's you consider why he's got that you know obviously the the clocking villain was pretty well healed to to be able to afford a, a, a device that sucks all the oxygen out of a room. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, you know. Because obviously Batman has gas masks, so so if he try, were try, try to gas him to sleep, it would wouldn't work. I but, imagine he's probably good at saving money. He he seems like an efficient oh, type. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He probably is a miser. I'm sure his portfolio is, is very you know, <laughs> even 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 after the the debacle with his company. Sure, in which they were liable for how many millions of dollars? Like two hundred million? million, twenty million. Yeah. Which is, you know, probably two hundred in today's dollars. Yes, in, in the time in the timeline <laughs> of uh, it's it, it, that's the thing about about the Batman animated series. You really don't know if it's taking place in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies. It's it's always there's a, enough um, there's enough things that are anachronistic at any given time within the same episode that uh, you know it's like there's. There's there'll be some palm top you know computer that Batman has and yet uh, and like black and white though, yeah still it's yeah a, I, I love, love all that stuff yeah it's like the the time period is Gotham yeah the um, Jared has to direct Napoleon Dynamite uh, I remember somebody asked him like what time period like or what year the movie was supposed to be set because everybody has like dial up internet but the cars are all modern etc mm-hmm. and. So yeah, somebody was like, "What year is this Napoleon Dynamite supposed to take place?" And he said, "Idaho," uh, which is like my favorite answer uh, from like a director I've ever heard. And that's like how I view this series, or like, uh, yeah, like um, a lot of like the comic worlds and books I read, they're just set in that city. That's the year. Yeah, I think the more specific you are, unless it's related to what's historically going on, it mm-hmm. do, it's a disservice. Because you're going to date yourself, and also it gives you the flexibility to kind of be more creative and set the rules. Obviously, you don't want it to be like limitless, but uh, the rules being limitless, not the film limitless. Uh, for everybody that was really confused by that, yeah, sentence, people are like, why did he drop limitless? <laughs> yeah, he better explain it immediately. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I feel like, like we, I think I've talked about this before, but like uh, Batman the Animated Series and Napoleon Dynamite, like it follows like those films, or you know, like the series, you know, like. It, mm-hmm. It also like stands a test of time. Like this is this has survived the other '90s cartoons of the same era. Like you look at Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, and it's really funny. But a lot of the jokes are very pop culture based. Yes, and stuff that made very me laugh. very dated. And yeah. you know, like a Judge Ito joke is not going to really make a lot of sense anymore outside remember, of that Freakazoid episode. Yeah, Freakazoid used to love like making Sinbad jokes that just aren't going to make uh, my children They ripped laugh. into Jerry Lewis a lot on Animaniacs, like in a very cruel way. That's so weird. 
Uh, yeah, there's none of that stuff. Yeah, it follows as like another great example of like that movie like will not be immediately dated by everybody holding iPhones because they gave them made up little like a weird shell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that stuff. Yeah, and I love that they do that in this. Uh, it's like it's very like noir, like 30s, 40s, sometimes 50s, 70s. Yeah. Well, they actually uh, there's uh, it was later on in the this the 20 episodes that they ordered for. Um, that were marketed as uh, Adventures of Batman and Robin. Right. Um, there was one episode which actually did take place in in, in the the flashbacks were 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 done in 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 Golden Age Batman style, and uh, I forget who the artists were, but it was one of them. One of them was Frank Miller. Oh, right? the Legends of the Dark Knight yeah, episode. Exactly. Yeah. yeah from that, and that was so much fun. You know, that's you, a great episode. Also, like has maybe one of my least favorite moments in the series in it. Like, oh, is it the Joel Schumacher it's dig? It's such a weird dig. Yeah, they like, uh, and it is, it also like is maybe my favorite episode, but the kids are like all walking down the street and they see like this long haired kid like wearing a pink boa, like throwing his hair back. And he's like, uh, he says some joke that like, I think Batman's this and like sort of references the Schumacher movies and the three kids who like <laughs> look like Deanie and Tim uh-huh. and then like Carrie Kelly like go whatever Joel uh, <laughs> and it's just this like sort of swishy like cartoon gay kid that they move past immediately and yeah. did not pick up on whatever that was at all the first time I saw it and then watched it on the DVD and went whoa this isn't necessarily okay uh, you can you're not you're not alone we talked about that when talking about this episode um, um, oh have you guys you guys already did that we did oh interesting Nick Great. Mundy that's funny listen to him talk about it go back <laughs> stop this episode right now guys I'm sorry I just made you sit through that critique again <laughs> I'm sure everybody's really listened to every episode with a you know fine tooth ear uh, comb that is such a cool episode though and you you did work on that one uh, no I didn't work on that oh, one okay. I, I think my, one of my episodes got into that that we, we were it was still we were still working on it even though it was past the, the 65 episodes the initial 65 mm-hmm. episode run and I did a I worked on a show called uh, Avatar oh Avatar is great yeah, yeah. yeah. it's the Rachel Ghoul kind of Ray- um, mummy Person, yeah, like, he, he, he winds up, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know if he falls in love with her, but... but oh, they, he does. They, he they, starts they, to they, kiss her. They get, uh, they get, <laughs> they get, they start getting busy with uh, with some um, ancient uh, Egyptian uh, demon goddess of some sort who is actually undead. Thoth Kapera. That's her yeah. name. Great, great name, and, uh, and so so that was uh, that was fun show. I, I shared that show with Mike McQuiston and and Shirley. It's a very Indiana Jonesy kind of episode. Yeah, it yeah. has a lot of that stuff. And and the opening one of the nice things that w- was that the opening was my my opening music was uh, Bruce Tim decided that he didn't want any sound effects on it. So I, so I think one of the only places in 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 the series where where the music plays with, with no sound effects and it's just the music. It's doing like the flashback the, to the flashback to to Egypt in the late nineteenth century. That's so cool. And he said, "Well, you know, this was this is flashback to to nineteenth century. They didn't have sound effects." And so, what was I Bruce Tim like to work with? Oh, he was he. I was in, in awe of him. Oh, he, he was. I remember one one of the. Uh, I was at one of the. 
the um, dubbing sessions for the where, where we put the music and the and the dialogue and the sound effects all together, and you get to hear it in a in in a nice studio with the finished product as as it is. And um, the and I, I remember he sat down and was doodling. He was just doodling, and of course his doodles look like finished products that would be sold at a comic convention <laughs> and uh, he was he was doodling uh or completely rendering perfectly uh the creeper character i love and, the and it was like right then well, at that's that, so cool yeah it was like wow this is you know i i, I just the, the um his level of artistry is is just unsurpassed it's 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 i'm i'm i was always very impressed with everything and his instincts as a, as an animator were were always, he had a lot of training you know, working on other other shows where, where he learned what not to do and so that's one of the reasons i think that the that the, the batman animated series is so streamlined because uh, you know do things that are easier to animate than not and um i have a, he he put out a book of Called Naughty and Nice, I think is, is the title. It's it's a they're like pinup y kind pin up, of yeah pinup girls and uh, that he did and and they're they're for all the all the fanboys who who ever lusted after any <laughs> any of the of the women on you know the, the female the sexy female characters on the show would uh, will actually you know adore this this volume it was, a, it was a limited edition but uh i got one and uh it was it's it's got some you know he doesn't he do, he, he doesn't leave things to the imagination in in, in his uh, artwork for that that year. and of course it's uh, that that book is just um i think it's just a just an overview of of you know the stuff he can do he's he's he's, he's a truly uh, remarkable artist and i was felt very privileged and fortunate to have the opportunity to work with him. He directed one of the episodes that I uh, scored, which was uh, Day of the Samurai. Right, the and, re- uh, return. I think the, one of the only deaths in the series itself, or at least well, the Kyodai Ken, right? Well, they of don't, they don't, they don't show him, it just, uh, but the implication is pretty, you know, mm-hmm. he's there. Spawns in a volcano? Is that yeah, what happens? He, he, there's, like a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lava flow that, that, that takes out the rock that he was standing on. Yeah, and, he's no Metallo. He's not going to survive that volcano. Yeah, right? so, so it was... Uh, he basically is committing seppuku, you know, with a, only you know, using a volcano instead of a knife. And uh, it's, it was, <laughs> I'm going to perform seppuku, but with a volcano instead yeah. of a knife. What a thing to do! Yeah, <laughs> that pinup stuff like makes me laugh. Also, like in retrospect, now revisiting this stuff is like the the very specific like. <laughs> Uh, clear tastes that like Dini and uh, uh, Tim seem to have like it stands out to me so much more every time they manage to like have a woman like tied up uh, uh, or uh, I don't know they just like yeah that sneaking in sexy girls into a kids cartoon yeah and definitely like the 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 implications of like between Ivy and Harley Uh like in later episodes and there's a in the book Batman animated I believe it's it's called it's uh, it's a real, it's yeah. Chip Kid, um, I think, designed the, the the book. He put a couple. He put together a couple of Batman related uh, volumes, and one of them, Batman Animated, is all about the the animated series. And 
in it, it there's a, a, a page that Bruce drew of all the things you can't show on the sh on, on, uh, in, in the show according to standards and practices and uh, and we we would work from work prints uh, that were you know far from being the finished product I mean we had like goofy things that would occur in the work prints like you know there would be like characters in the scene would suddenly be against uh, the wrong background like Batman is, is you know it's in Kyoto in front of a, a volcano and Batman saying something in the next scene he's saying something and he's in somebody's living room and <laughs> you know and so they, they so they were they were work prints they were just uh, things that had the timings right but the animation wasn't yet enough set. that you could basically get the job done yeah and uh, and so one of the time one of the uh, uh, one of the issues uh, I he was speaking of standards and practices. There was one, some video uh, work print that, that included a, uh, a very, uh, mm, let's see how to describe it. Uh, Bruce Tim described it as, uh, this is a female character, and, and he described it as her divot. Her divot was 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 very pronounced, and uh, and so and he and he blamed the horny Koreans who uh, who who animated that particular show, you know, because they would send they had various you know uh, animation houses around around the planet who, who were contributing to the the, the most show. prevalent cliche about Korea. Right. Well, we gotta stop sending stuff to horny house productions. <laughs> Uh, they, they, I mean, I don't know why why we're expecting anything else, but They're horny all horny houses? animators. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there is that, you know, like a lot of like horny animation gags, like a lot of those Disney movies. They're usually just like probably animators who are working on something for so long that they're bored but want to put like a topless woman for a few frames in like the rescuers the or animators like. Animators are weirdos. <laughs> uh, said by two, two comedians who are yeah. not weirdos at all. Yeah, some of the original sketches, designs for the, um, the Beethoven Six Symphony sequence in Fantasia, which is a sort of, um, sort of mythological uh, shepherds and, well, well mostly uh, centaurs and mm -hmm. centaurettes. And various uh, of various kinds, and they they actually designed them absolutely topless, and they were these absolutely gorgeous looking, uh, you know, examples of what you you know would hope for in a centaurette. Um, but uh, the furry community would yeah, be thrilled at this point. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and those those who who appreciate horses, I suppose, would be very pleased. But, those um, those who appreciate horses, those, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I know no none personally. No. But. No, none of us have horse porn books open in front of us right now. <laughs> I remember that. I, I, that was like a thing that stood out about Fantasia. It's like when I was a kid, is that the night on uh, Bald Mountain? Is uh -huh. that what it's called? Yeah. Like, uh, I remember that featuring uh, naked demon ladies. Yeah, and I remember they, that they, being like a huge deal for dun, a Disney dun, movie. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> That was a that was a fun that was a, a very I, I enjoyed Fantasia immensely. When yeah, I, I enjoyed. I just rewatched it for the first time in a while, and it's great. I forgot about the interstitials, like the kind of silhouetted mm -hmm. uh, com conductor, and, uh, and I think Sikowski, Mickey and yeah, yeah. Mr. Sikowski, Mr. Sikowski. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Well, guys, do you have any final thoughts on the Clock King? I don't think so. 
You talked clock. You talked your clock off. Yeah, I uh, I did appreciate uh, my dad is like a kind of a, a watchhead, even though like he's only ever had two because uh, uh, he gave his first one to me. Oh. Um, but yeah, he was like uh, uh, he was. I don't know. Like it's funny that he knows like as much about them as he do. And so when he was like a young pilot, and I, I guess like. Uh, one of his first like army bonuses he ever got he got like a rolex submariner for himself like while he was in korea uh and like can talk about like why rolexes are expensive and why they like work the well they do and so i remember appreciating that like when he opens up the clock king's like uh time bomb uh-huh. he they don't use the word rolex but it's obviously like a stand-in for it where bruce is like why would someone use a six thousand dollar like uh, Moto Lex uh, 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 watch to, to run a time bomb and uh, Alfred says something you know about like well he, he cares very much about punctuality and then he's like oh, punctuality it's that guy like, <laughs> but I remember going like oh man my dad would appreciate that the clock king uses Rolex innards for his uh, his time bombs somebody was paying attention to that detail yeah uh, one person picked up on it uh, but it was me guys Cool. There you go. It was uh, yeah. There's a, a lot of interesting little details. Um, most of which I had to score. There, the the whole sequence in, in in the clock tower, the whole duel being tied to a clock and the cogs yeah, and everything. And Very great mouse detective. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was. Uh, there was like some. I don't know if it was Miyazaki or, or some some reference that uh, was was mentioned uh, having to do with uh, with Bruce Tim regarding the the um, that whole inside the clock tower sequence and uh, of course I was just that was one of the first cues I wrote because it was the longest so I had to <laughs> I had to uh, um, you know there's a lot of mechanical stuff to to make to refer to and stuff was it castle of caligostro that's something it said i read some trivia that says the climactic battle on the clock tower is similar to the climax of the animated movie castle of cag oh cagliostro cagliostro Cagliostro. sounds vaguely italian yeah very miyazaki clearly (laughs) but uh it's uh yeah that was i guess that must be the reference and uh and I, of course, I don't know who. I haven't seen that foot, that sequence, and and I don't know who did it, uh, who wrote the music for it. But uh, in my case, I was just running with the the materials I had on hand, which uh, included some extra stuff that I, I composed to go with. Um, like there's this one motif. Dee, 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 which happens, you know, it comes from the, the first when he's losing it in the park and, he, mm-hmm. and the little dog makes him, you know, fall into the fountain. And uh, that it was material that ends up showing up again in, in various guises throughout the, uh, the, the episode, sometimes working with the clocking theme that Shirley wrote, sometimes just on its own. But uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was just um, it was intricate, you know, and, and and it was a lot of work to 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 you know, like the inside of a clock, maybe. Yeah. And on that, <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much for coming, you guys, and it talking was a, clock. A real pleasure. And we have we haven't mentioned that we have. Uh, the, the little the buff clock king the action buff, figure yeah, the very much more much more uh, 
built up than he was in the episode. I mean, this is Task Force X Clock King. Yeah. Look, he he was he was working squad. out kind of, you know, probably in prison a little bit. Uh, has nothing to do with them recycling a two-faced body Absolutely. who has broader shoulders and probably more muscle. Warner Brothers, if you're listening, I want to write the Suicide Squad sequel featuring some better villains. <laughs> like yeah, you the want Clock, Clock King and Edward. <laughs> uh, well, cool, guys. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for listening to another Batman the Animated Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, subscribe, and leave a comment in iTunes. If you've got a dollar or more that you want to donate to the podcast, which, let's be honest, I pay for all this myself, and it would be great, you can do so at batspodcast.com slash donate. Find me on Twitter at batspodcast and at heyjustin. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. Thanks to my guests Tim Neenan and Carlos Rodriguez for chatting bat. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't wholeheartedly thank This American Life producer Tori Malatia, who recently watched his wife give birth to their 13th son, Damian Malatia. When the newborn baby Malatia crested, he said, Well, well, it's about time you showed up. Cool, Tori. I know you'll make an excellent father to those 13 kids in real life. Until next time, guys. Am I too late to stop the episode? I'm out of breath here. Hello? Where is everybody? Please don't let this get out. Oh, no. Wiley Coyote, we're doing the same thing. No!